everyone. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, again, I appreciate you all being here, and uh, we do appreciate the people that I get the chance to interview here as well. As I've been emphasizing of late, if there's people you want me to meet up with, just give me a holler over at contact.drdrew.com. And do try to support the people who support us. We try to choose them carefully, and uh, they've been very supportive, and so we can keep doing this thing. Don't forget the streaming show, which uh, is 3 o'clock most Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 3 o'clock Pacific time. And we have been uh, interviewing some really interesting people. It's becoming more and more relevant. It's some crazy stuff happening. Uh, also, you know, Adam and I are still out there running around, so do check that all out. We appreciate it. And After Dark, that's where many of you might uh, like to hang out for a minute or two. It's, it's more on the comedy side of things. Today is Matthew. I saw you called in, in your in on your book cover two H double H Matthew double <laughs> H Matt double H Hungle Tetling, uh, which I can barely get out of my mouth. And before well the mic, done, sir. Before the mic's heated up, he was telling me it's a Hungarian, no, no, a Ukrainian, Polish, and I'm gonna say even the Yiddishy, whatever German something in there. So uh, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. A proper mutt, and, and glad to be here. And, and uh, before, where'd you grow up, by the way? Uh, upstate New York, uh, about an hour north of uh, the city in a small city called Beacon. Beacon. It's like a Beacon in, uh, Bridge, home to Pete Seeger, halfway to Albany. Guy, I have been all through that area, and I've been way up there. And I'm trying to remember the name of the city that the Marx Brothers actually named this kingdom it's a city in northern uh, New York that the, the Marx Brothers were prevented from performing in back in the vaudeville days. <laughs> and so they named a fictitious city, a fictitious country after it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pop in my head all of a sudden uh, to make fun of it. That sounds like the sort of small town politics I, I grew up under. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And I, there's actually a, a SUNY up there. SUNY. Uh, fright, fright, fright. Free, free. Hmm. it's like Freiburg, something like that, some crazy name like that. Does it come to you? No. So, man, tell not. me not. Sorry. what led to the book, what's in it. If it sounds like a quack, that is the name of the book, A Journey to the Fringes of American Medicine. How in the world? Uh, yeah, so it was actually really funny. Um, I, you know, the pandemic was happening, a lot of vibrant, uh, uh, heated public debate about where the right of the government to crack down on uh, what they saw as uh, uh, behaviors that were injurious to the public health ends and the right of the individual to do, you know, whatever the heck they, they please um, on the other end. Yeah. There, there's this kind of like interesting collision of two strong fundamental American values. And so I started to kind of reach out to folks who had run afoul of the system Huh. in an effort to kind of get at some of the nuance of that uh, uh, debate. Uh, and I kind of changed tack fairly early in the process because I started talking to some of these folks and I would ask something like, you know, how would what changes would you make at the FDA or, or what reforms would you make to the CDC and, and this sort of thing? And the answer was always, you know, abolish the FDA or, or burn <laughs> down the CDC. Wow. Uh, you know, and... and um, uh, when they started um, sharing some of the, the underlying principles behind the uh, alternative healing methods that they devised, um, I knew that there was a, a kind of a different book here, something that was a, a little bit more colorful, 
a, a little bit uh, wackier and, and maybe arguably more important uh, to, to the long-term future of the country. So I, I spoke to, um, you know, folks who had some, some very out there, bizarre methods of healing and understandings of uh, the human body uh, that, that were very much at odds with the sort of uh, practice that, that you do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is kind of out there stuff, lasers, bleach, <laughs> you actually got to bleach. Right <laughs> there. We got to bleach. Uh, yeah. Bleach, leeches, lasers, um, baking soda injections. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and all of these folks had started as more or less Joe average Americans, you know, they, they had very, very diverse backgrounds. Uh, you know, there, there were, uh, Polish immigrant, uh, retired dentist who was sort of a civic hero. Um, you know, uh, did just all, all, all walks of life. Uh, there was the South, Dakota, the South Dakota dentist. Yes. Yeah. Larry Lytle, uh, <laughs> basketball star, but yeah, went, played for the military, um, led his community through a, um, a devastating flood in the 1970s and then uh, kind of got caught up in this idea that there was a, a universal healing light uh, that was the, um, you know, the end-all be-all to cures. He's uh, one example of what I call in the book, one true curism. Um, and he went and took his uh, belief in universal healing light and devised some lasers uh, so some like uh, low light lasers that he um, uh, tried to use to heal people of everything from cancer to kidney disease. And he sold these lasers for upwards of $12,000 a piece and, and oh my. a very wealthy man. Oh my. And did he, <laughs> did, what were the claims that people had after they, and how were they, just the laser just goes into their chest or whatever? Yeah. I, well, it was actually really funny. He had like, yeah, this was, uh, he, he invented this in, you know, kind of like 80s, 90s, uh, early 2000s. So what he had was, he had a, um, like a small remote control uh, that had like, you'd punch in a three code uh, number on it. So it was almost like operating like a microwave, you know, or like a primitive VCR. And you'd put in the three digit code that uh, corresponded to the disease. And then you would wave this laser over the affected part of your body and the theory was that the light um, regenerated and revitalized the cells, thereby, you know, like freezing out all disease. But of course, it's all it's all hokum. Uh, there's, there's what? How dare you? No evidence. <laughs> and did he try to come up with some evidence? That that's the part I find kind of interesting. Did they do anything to try to? I mean, he's a dentist. He should know basic <laughs> scientific method, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. He 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 spoke a very good game. Yeah, he had this kind of like tall, imposing figure. I think I compare him to uh, Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. You know, that, that, that kind of like you know, natural, natural gravitas uh, uh, in his persona. And he did work um, to try to find some sort of study to support what he was saying. And there have been some studies that show that some lasers can do a little bit for arthritic pain um, or arthritis pain, rather, in, in uh, certain areas of the body. Um, but he, you know, made this huge extrapolation. So, yeah, he, he right. would like fund a study in Alabahad, India, uh, that was not very well controlled, um, and then take the results from those study, try to get them published in academic journals. Eventually, settling for like kind of these junk medical journals that that are uh, a plague on <laughs> on the medical science field, um, and then 
you know, kind of like use that to infer and pretend and uh, bolster this image that there was a lot of evidence for this treatment that that he was uh, selling primarily to, you know, elderly people, people who were desperate, um, uh, people who would you know, sit down and listen to what amounted to a 45 minute infomercial uh, to, to try to sell these lasers. Um, so right, you know, it's it's yeah. interesting. This has been on my mind lately, I guess, because I'm watching how they're training the physicians these days. And I started thinking about physicians I had hired back in the end of the nineties um, to work on what in those days was a dot com, you know, remember all that craziness, but there was lots of jobs and I hired mm-hmm. a bunch of young physicians, freshly minted from UCLA and whatnot. And I was astonished at how much of their curriculum was devoted to alternative practices. I think that's what they called it back then, alternative medicine or something. I mean, they were being taught on Chinese herbs and acupuncture and pressure, this and that, and car and everything. I mean, it was it was a major emphasis uh, that Western medicine had gone too far, and they were being insensitive to alternative practices and blah blah blah. And that by certainly by 2005, certainly by 2010, completely went away. <laughs> just completely, it was gone. <laughs> it was just vanished. Uh, so I and what I was thinking when I bring this up was why didn't this guy and I'm guessing some of your subjects did get over to that world where they would find uh, a lot of uh, embrace I'm sure <laughs> well yeah I, I think I kind of wound up with a selection process for my subjects that landed me on folks who were not availing themselves of, of those sorts even, of even that world wouldn't bring them in even that world wouldn't bring them in. That's right. These were, you know, the, the extremists, the worst of the worst, the, the most bizarre, the most bizarre. But uh, that being said, there is like a sort of full court press from the alternative medicine industry uh, making efforts to legitimize their treatments uh, and their practices. And it kind of puts medical institutions in a really tough spot because, you know, you can freeze them out entirely give them no credence, you know, shut the door, leave them out in the cold. And, you know, guess what? Uh, a third of Americans haven't seen a doctor in the last 12 months. Right. Um, you know, one in five Americans is using exclusively alternative therapy. Uh, they don't to, trust. To treat yeah. Well, yeah, they, yeah, this is the point. We've screwed up so badly lately um, that I'm not surprised that this is the case. And and not only that, I'm open to things that I wasn't open to three years ago. <laughs> like, mm, I'm listening. Tell me more. It's right, like, right, right. Or I would have been like, oh, whatever, come on. But now I'm like, oh, lasers. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> Just, oh, I mean, so it odd. really it puts folks like, like you in a bind of, you know, what do you do with the patient who, you know, thinks that you are, you know, uh, acting nefariously simply because you have a medical degree. It's yeah. like your expertise is a strike against you, right? Uh, not for you. And and you, doctor, yeah, you, know, you have the you know wonderful sort of bedside manner that has you know sixteen year old girls calling you up in the nineteen eighties, uh, telling right. you secrets about their lives that they they die of shame before letting their parents know, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you are blessed with that um, accessible personality. Uh, but that's that's not the case for all practitioners. Well, um, not only that, the, the way the system is set up now, 
they can't spend the time building those relationships. It's it's just a plus. Physicians are now being moved one step back. It's the physician extenders. I remember I used that word on on CNN one night, and it was a table with like Anna Navarro and uh, and uh, Anderson Cooper, and they all went physician extender. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's who you're going to see now: nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And the doctor is going to be reviewing the record later. That's it. That, that's what they're designing the system to do. So it, it's getting more and more sort of uh, impersonal, let's say. Yeah. In, in, Go ahead. in the book, I do, I do spend a bit of time kind of knocking the system for um, creating a situation in which, you know, access is an issue. Yep. Unfriendliness is an issue. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, I go back to the early roots of the uh, the American Medical Association, and one of its top priorities in, in the I think it was the 1860s or so that that it was formed um, was to restrict the number of doctors who were going out um, who who were, who were gaining medical degrees. Right? They they wanted to yeah. reduce supply to drive up uh, price, and, 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 that they, was, and they want and they wanted to establish ethics and guidelines and professional standards. Uh, of they, course, they were doing it all, but and there was a craze in the late 19th century of proprietary cures, and proprietary cures embedded in that whole thing. You know, the traveling snake oil salesman, right? But it was physicians that brought in a lot of that stuff, and in the proprietary cures was cocaine and opiates. Uh, lots of opiates. It helped really fuel the first opioid epidemic in this country that we, most people are not aware we had, which uh, was really a post-Civil War phenomenon. And that's, by yeah. the way, that's where the Harrison Narcotic Act came from. And it's where the AMA came from. They were working on all this stuff. <laughs> that, that's right. You know, uh, the, the AMA, you know, kind of like got power during the Civil War, right? That That was when Americans rejected an earlier love affair with alternative medicine yes. um, because, you know, key officials within the uh, government and within the military wound up going with medical professionals who, who were on the, the medical science side of things instead of the alternative science sort of thing. Yeah. And um, that uh, allowed them to establish, you know, the, themselves and, you know, they want to elevate the profession, uh, profession reasonably. So they, they watch the Nick, the Nick, the TV show, the Nick. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It wasn't that. That was in the aftermath of all this when, when yes. you know they were just trying anything because everybody died. <laughs> they were trying yeah, they, right. They and, had and the scientific they, method, but they hadn't really like applied it very well yet. Well, they they, they became addicted to things themselves, and, and, <laughs> and they had trouble getting anywhere clinically. And and the um, there's some interesting data. And this again, whenever medicine fails. People fill in with their own ideas, you know, and uh, I, I was going to just quote the data from the Civil War, where if you had an abdominal wound, bullet or shrapnel, your probability of death was 95 oh, percent, un unless you had an, a surgery, in which case it was 100 percent. Oh, my that goodness. Was the Civil War. Unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> well, they had no they had no. Uh, sterile method or anything it is we're going in digging out bullets and shrapnel yeah it. yeah yo next round is about to start you ready yeah yeah just shopping for a car in carvana for real 
Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Now, medical science has come a long way. Uh, you know, it's, it's done a fantastic job of extending human lives and, and alleviating suffering and, and, and curing disease over the last hundred years. It's figured out how to do that pretty alleviating well. Alleviating suffering. It's interesting you threw that in there. I, I worry that we've let that one go. Mm, may, I really do. Uh, but maybe, keep going. Yes, they've made maybe. some progress. Uh, yeah, d- depending on how you define the term for sure. Um, but uh you know, now, uh, but they've also, along that way, continued to um, do their best to elevate the status of yeah. doctors, medical yeah. doctors, um, yeah. and to uh, do that in part by restricting access. We have this terrible funding system or production system where doctors come out of uh, medical school with million-dollar medical school debts now, uh, yes. where yeah. they need the, yeah. the starting average starting salary of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and debt. it's all just so distant from what the average guy and gal is going through uh, that it creates sort of a, a cultural distance, and it, it, it feeds this feel of elitism uh, that that in turn breeds anger and, and distrust. Um, and you know, uh, I think in the book I, I write Mississippi has fewer doctors per capita than Kazakhstan. Yeah. Uh, you know, that there were, were um, you, when you get to psychiatry, I, I imagine most States are in a similar kind of population relationship. Yeah. Third yeah. world countries. We could yeah. use more doctors uh, living closer to their patients. I, I think it is, yeah, it, is it, one it, of the changes that would prevent one true curism and some of these very fringe practitioners from, from gaining such traction. Yeah, I, I, I have found myself apologizing for my profession. I'm, I'm ashamed of, I'm not kidding. I'm ashamed of some of the stuff that's gone on these last few years. And I just, I want to apologize to people all over the world. I'm like, please accept my apology. I, this, this uh, profession I loved, I think I still love it. Isn't critical to my identity, meaning made meaning in my life. And, uh, and now I have to apologize for it. <laughs> and, and, and we still aren't out of the woods. We haven't like, reconcile what, what what a mess we've made I, i'm mm-hmm. particularly worried about the, the mental health part right now but uh you know you mentioned uh baking soda and patients have bring been bringing me testimonials about hydrogen peroxide forever and baking <laughs> soda and some of them do stuff with it you know they want to inject it and they want the, this and that i'm like no, 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 please don't did you get in find any of those guys um, you know, I, I think they come from uh, a, a time in the 1850s. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Antoine Béchamp, uh, French French physician. He was the guy who took Louis Pasteur to task over what at the time we called germ theory. Oh, yeah. Uh, B- By the Béchamp, way, things yeah. are so screwed up right now, people are calling that into question again. Yes. Yeah, it's odd. Uh, this is the most screwed up, messed up time I've ever. I couldn't imagine it getting this bad, and here we are. So yeah, yeah, right. a- absolutely, absolutely. Be- yeah, Beshan thought like, no, yeah, pathogens are. Um, there's no such thing as germs. That the pathogens in our body are a result of us having some 
internal failing in our body that's uh-huh. producing the pathogens. Terrain yeah. theory is what he called it. And the folks who who go on and on about acidity in the body, oh uh, the alkalinarians. That's I, I still think out there. That's out those. there. Get your alkaline water and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, they, they'll, they'll say in, inject a baking soda uh, uh, solution into your veins. And the guy who I, I write about in the book, uh, uh, Robert Young, uh, who is currently up on criminal charges again, uh, he had a um, a ranch in California, a, a former avocado and grapefruit ranch, and he called it the, the Miracle Ranch, uh, a reference to his book, The PH Miracle uh, Diet. And he would charge folks upwards of $6,000 a night, very sick people, very desperate people with cancer that he told uh, that this was their best chance at health. And he took them for every penny they had in many cases. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, he, he was not able to cure anyone of cancer. A, a lot. Of, again, I, we so under appreciate and under educate on history. I suspect a lot of people don't know that up in Battle Creek, Miss Dr. Kellogg did something very similar. <laughs> That's, do you, are you aware of this? Hey, is this? Is this the cornflake guy? This is the cornflake guy. He invented <laughs> the cornflake and then <laughs> made people come up there and spend fortunes getting his his whatever he was doing. And at least he had them exercise. That was part of the part. Of the <laughs> yeah. yeah it, Kellogg it's a fascinating, Battle Creek. Yeah, like in, in the 1830s, uh, there, there was a... Um, a populist medical freedom movement led by a guy named Samuel Thompson, wow. a steam doctor. Uh, you know, he, he basically, you know, he thought that bringing heat to the body would burn out all the diseases. So he put people what? in steam boxes. He yeah. gave them uh, drugs that made them puke. He gave them tie-in enemas. Uh, and uh, he kind of knit They're together. still doing that stuff. <laughs> I know. It's still I happening. Know. People, uh, that, that notion is somehow appealing to people that things are coming out of their body which is yeah. not what happens, everybody. It's <laughs> not how your body works. That's uh, one sign that the guy you're listening to is not, not giving you My own wife does this all the time. I'm going to sweat it out. I go, what do you think comes out of your pores? What do you, <laughs> imagine? What do you think of the poor works? Yeah, t- tell I, me what, tell me, if you're detoxifying, tell me what toxin I can measure in the things that come out of your body. And I now, will find none of that. Now, did you come up with that phrase or did in previous conversations have I said that to you? The, the detox? I, I have said forever. The word toxin drives me out of my mind. <laughs> so I, what, I, what I always say to these people is, oh, there's a toxin coming out? Do me a favor. Here's a piece of paper. Just write down the structure of that toxin. Just Not all of them, just one toxin. <laughs> write it down. Then I want the stoichiometry of the chemistry of how that toxin is brought out. No big deal. Just the basic, <laughs> basic biochemistry and, and the structure. Just give it to me. Not a single person can do that. They, they you can make be, a million-dollar challenge, Dr. Drew. Yeah, they have a potential. Occasionally, they'll reach over to the heavy metals and then, again, can't do the chemistry because they've never studied chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in any of the sciences, um, but I, I can tell you that common sense uh, uh, shows you that this is all just you know, charlatans. Uh, they're, well, they're all selling something, but but a couple of things though. But there there a lot of this is filling the gap of caretaking that we have left behind. That's you know, right. People are desperate and want to be felt like they're being taken care of. And and I and look, 
if they don't do any harm, I, I, you know, I've been dealing with, it got really bad in the eighties. I don't know if you know, but it, it was, I, that was when I had more trouble than the early nineties getting people to comply with dialysis and really, you know, serious oh, really? interventions. Yeah. They were going to go down to, there's a lot of, I'm going to Mexico and blah, 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 coffee enemas. And I'm curious that you did not go outside the country. Is that true or did you? Uh, no, no, I, I did not. You know, um, I, uh, the American experiment is enough to fill many books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and, I, and I, I just couldn't get there. It's a little more culturally, you know, sort of a, it's it sort of compelling for the, for the American reader. But I, but it makes me wonder what happened to that guy that took Charlie Sheen and injected his HIV blood into him. That tiger <laughs> blood guy. Remember that whole debacle? That was one of the most odd. <laughs> Bill, Bill yeah. Maher had the guy on and stuff. Every time one of these um, celebrity treatments uh, j- jumps into the press, it, it is just shows you. It, it's always we knew it was wacky, but we didn't know it was this wacky. Yeah. You know, right. uh, Leeches on the face and and tiger blood and hyperbaric chambers and on. I remember when Steve McQueen went down and got the coffee enemas. He had his dying of mesothelioma before oh, your time. God. Yeah, Mm-mm. and and by the way, they always go down with like the you know with disdain for everybody up here and just glory for the people that are going to you know really help them. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. All One right. of the statistics that shocked me in, in my book was that yeah that I came across was that. One in 200 people boarding a plane for an international flight is doing so to seek medical treatment in another country, often because the treatment they want would be illegal here. Well, a lot of that is either price, right? Yes. So people are looking at price shopping now. And the other is stem cell. The, the people are oh. moving around a lot for stem cells. Uh, the, Interesting. So that's happening in a big way. But I, I remember, again, this is a long time ago, but when Farrah Fawcett died of uh, essentially anal cancer was anal cancer with HPV related cancer. And of course they didn't, they were going to teach the world about anal cancer, but did not mention that. And they Mm. chronicled her trip to Germany to get nonsensical treatments and just suffered so horribly. This is the part Mm. that I have trouble with is, you know, when you talk about reducing suffering, we, we maximize suffering sometimes and people don't Mm. understand what they're getting into when, when, when we kind of, we kind of know where stuff's going. Um, mm-hmm. so what, what shall we discuss next? I mean, who is the, who are the ones that keep you up at night? And, and my, and by the way, let me ask this question, maybe this is a little yeah. more, more sort of challenging, which is I, I have, I'm not a purist, uh, mm-hmm. but I do want people to have the freedom to do what they want to do. Yes. Right? And, and so how do we reconcile that? Uh, and, I don't know. I, I've, I've mixed ideas about it. You know, now we go, we're gone way far down this road of misinformation and, you know, it, it, which is just alternative opinions, just different sharing mm. ideas. Now all of a sudden mm. that's going to be adjudicated by the state of California in, you know, they, they've picked an illness where they're going to decide what the right things that doctors have to say to their patient, just that mm. illness. Are we going to go have a, have a, a menu now for all illnesses? which is where that goes. But I do want people to be able to do what they want to do and live their life and take their own risks. And I, I just, how do we help them understand what they're doing? Cause that's, yeah, the no, it really is the problem. I, I think you put, um, you put a, 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 a real finger on it and 
know, what you're talking about is, is a, a fairly nuanced difference of values, right? Uh, yeah, that um, you, it's fairly subtle changes in policy um, that would honor or you know, support or take away from the patient's right to, um, you know, a- exercise their their freedoms in, in various ways, or, right? Or the physician, the physician's ability to discuss right landscape as he or she sees it uh, you know but there's not this is not a not everyone agrees on everything clinically it's it's a it's yeah. a landscape but we have that's why you, they have different doctors that's why we are you, people don't appreciate it. this is the other thing there's nothing mm-hmm. that drives me crazy you do not see a physician for his or her fund of knowledge you do not you go for their judgment to make the right mm-hmm. call to use their judgment for your case in your circumstances mm-hmm at your stage of life with your values to make that call for you. That's it. The mm-hmm. skill go- and the knowledge goes without saying, though these days I'm a little concerned about that too, but, but let's, <laughs> let's posit that it goes without saying, because mm-hmm. it's, it's that you see stuff hundreds and hundreds of time and you want, you've developed a instinct about it and a judgment that you want to apply to this case. And people do not understand that. Well, the, the doctor-patient relationship is under assault, right? And, yep. um, you know, I think probably when you think about that, you're probably thinking more of regulations. You know, you mentioned the state of, uh, of uh, uh, California. And when I think about it, I think about it more in terms of, you know, uh, corporate dictates and, and you know, the, the, um, the, that's the a massive new, that's a new layer. That's a, the employer. That's a, we saw that writ large in COVID. So it, mm-hmm. it was the insurance companies for 30 years dictating what we could and couldn't do and playing games. I, I could go down that rabbit hole with you. It's yeah. just games. And you're under intense pressure to produce profits. You know, the, the, the doctor who can perform four surgeries in a day is worth more than the doctor who can perform two surgeries in a day. That's now as an employee. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 This is Watkins. Welcome with Bridget Pettisey. I love hearing people's stories of resilience and grit. This is why I created this podcast. We are very excited to welcome Jim Gaffigan, Yasmin Mohammed, Glenn Beck, Tim Dillon, Abigail Schreier, Jeff Garland, Ayan Hirsia Lee, Sam Harris, Heather Hying, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Greenwald, Sarah Shahi, Colin Quinn. If there's a culture of victimhood, then let's Tell stories of grit and survival. Subscribe and listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And so uh, these are all, you know, um, uh, I think uh, important discussions to have. But I think there are lower hanging fruits to address. <laughs> okay, um, where, what would yeah. those be? That's that's actually where I wanted to go next. Keep <laughs> you up at night, things you were shocked by, <laughs> low hanging fruits you'd like to get at. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think um, we ought to address the question, like you say, of a doctor's right to uh, build that trusting relationship with their patient, where the doctor is not a puppet of, of corporate. Uh, uh, yeah. powers or governmental powers yeah. and, and can really do that. Yeah. But in order to do that, uh, I think we also have to ensure that the patients are not susceptible to crappy 
marketing and, and complete bunkum for treatments that are clearly going to kill them, uh, either because the treatments themselves are harmful or because they're told to avoid their medical doctor, you know, their, well, their conventional yeah. doctor. So, so uh, uh, that avoid has sort of two layers to it. And I'm going to reference South Park in a second. <laughs> the, the, the one is that now there's this weird paranoia that somehow doctors get paid by pharmaceutical companies, which is impossible, impossible. Mm -hmm. there, there's, mm -hmm. there are doctors that get paid to speak on behalf of pharmaceutical companies. That's a whole thing. Then mm -hmm. they need to disclose that to you if they're prescribing that medication. But the average physician, it's there's no with this idea of kickbacks, whatever people have this fantasy that, mm -hmm. that there's some relationship there financially. There is none, I assure you. Though I did hear some weird stuff about vaccines, and I, I don't know if that's true or not. I've never seen that myself. Mm -hmm. But in any event, the the South Park reference was <laughs> this um the kids, one of the kids gets sick. Of course, it's Kenny. Kenny gets sick. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny, oh, my God. Kenny gets kidney failure. And he they go to these hippie healers, and they have all these things they're doing for them and all these things. And Kenny starts to die, and the kids are totally invested in these people and trusting them. And as Kenny starts to die, they go, he didn't see a doctor. We we don't we don't know what we're doing. We don't know anything about sickness. He's <laughs> really sick. And, he's, and then they're like, "You told us you know how to cure illness. You told us." <laughs> it really was, of course, South Park hitting it directly, squarely, you know, with the bat. Uh, I just I'll never forget <laughs> that one. And uh, and Kenny dies, of course. <laughs> but, of course. But they they were not they were unhappy with. I forget why they went to the the healers. Uh, but but that's the problem. It's not even so much. I I'd be perfectly fine with adjuncts of whatever anybody wants to do if it makes them feel better. Placebo is a very strong thing. I, I'm I'm all for it. But to deny life saving care without really appreciating it. Now, you know, we've lived through some times when life saving care chemotherapies and things like that also carried lots of misery with it. And we were a little heavy. We were, uh, let's face it. We were heavy handed with that stuff and sure. the quality of life and suffering as we were talking about was not a high priority. It was save the, save the patient. And it didn't do much saving, you know, those, those interventions, but now my God, we have, we really have things to do. We have stuff <laughs> remarkable what we can, what we can get done. That's right. Always work. No side effect risk for sure. But if they are turning away from that because it was because it's made by Pfizer, now everyone's freaked out about that. How do we manage that? Yeah, you know, um, there was a study uh, that, that I cite in the book that showed that folks who pursued any form of alternative treatment for cancer, uh, they check in on them five years after the fact, and anywhere between twice as many were dead to six times as many were dead, depending on the sort of cancer. Um, and so, uh, it is important to recognize the value of medical science. And sure, we, we wish that there were, um, you know, that there were improvements. Yeah, everybody wants improvements. But like you say, you, know, you take this nugget of truth, which is that, you know, big pharma is lobbying, right? They, they are trying to insert themselves into the process. Uh, and that's something that you have to watch and, and uh, be informed about and confront yep in reality, right? Yep. Uh, but when you extrapolate from that and you say, oh, big pharma is uh, controlling your doctor and telling him to give you poison, uh, that is where it goes off the cliff. And you get yep. into a place that maybe 
feels good and self-righteous to talk about, uh, but that is not based in uh, the sorts of um, facts and information that could actually produce positive change. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, if when I have alternative ideas or or sort of a, a, a position that is not exactly in the mainstream recommendations, I sit down and I explain my thinking very carefully and then say, what are we going to do? We're doing this together. Here's my thinking on this. The recommendation is, you know, you know what the perfect example of this was the women's health initiative. Remember Mm -hmm. when they they did this huge study on estrogen replacement and they, they came back and said, it's only harmful. You're no better than a witch doctor. If you put women on estrogen, well, I dutifully took everybody off estrogen. People got sick of shit. Their bones fell apart. They were miserable. They tried. Oh, it's terrible. Mm. So I had to go back to each one of them and go, here's the data. It does not fit my clinical experience. You are miserable. I am willing to prescribe this again. You may be taking a certain amount of risk according to this study, but that has not been my clinical experience. So I'm sort of confused. Lo and behold, that study was complete bullshit. Uh, and we all went back to replacement therapies again. Wow. And, and uh, it was a huge deal. Like this was it. If you didn't follow the WHI, you were a witch doctor. Those were the words they kept using. Every mm-hmm. woman off estrogen, period, end of story, full stop. And uh, it was wrong. Same thing with opiates. You know, there should be no pain in America. Opiates, uh, you know, you're just opiophobia. You give patients whatever the patient says is what they should get. That's it. My patients were being killed by that hand over fist. Mm-hmm. So there have been plenty of times when the wisdom at large, the standard of care, quite literally, has been wrong. But I bring this all up not to not to uh, sort of talk about my frustrations about these things, <laughs> but but to say when I would sit down and talk to patients about my thinking, your book made me wonder how much they really got, how much they really understood or heard of what I was saying. You, you know what I'm saying? So so do you have other suggestions? You know, you're saying we need to get people to understand these things. I've always relied on my relationship with the patients, and I'm willing to go over it and over it and over it as they make their decisions. Because as you know, the, under best circumstance, they take away 20% of what you say to them best circumstance rarely get the best circumstance and so they hear very little of it uh so what do you think yeah yeah i think it's it's uh the the answer is just none of them are easy uh all of them take a long time yeah um you know uh if if folks were taught critical thinking uh as a standard part of their uh education uh that uh has been shown to go a long way towards uh having folks reject uh uh, information that is just, you know, horrifically undersourced. Um, you know, one interesting model was in the the state of Nevada. Uh, you, I, I assume you're familiar with homeopathy. Oh, sure. Uh, w- which is a, a uh, uh, treatment that has, you know, little to no scientific backing, but which is is in wide use um, uh, by, you know, promoted by folks who want to sell homeopathic medicines and remedies and tinctures and all of this, you know, back to the, by the way, back to those nineties and early two thousands. Oh yeah. Pharmacies used to have big homeopathic, you know, cabinets with all kinds of stuff in it. Those have disappeared too. Yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. 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 Like, like Um, like a hundred different remedies and this and that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, the, the state of Nevada, they've got a, a board of homeopathy where yeah. uh, a bunch of practitioners uh, comprise the board and they provide some oversight. So even though, you know, you and I might sit here and say homeopathy is uh, junk, you know, it's got no, no uh, scientific basis to it, uh, maybe produces a, a little bit of a placebo effect. Um, what we really ought to be caring about in, in some ways is whether or not the person who's selling those remedies, who's prescribing, you know, the, the practitioner of these alternative therapies is behaving in a way that uh, is injurious to the public. So this board makes sure that these guys aren't out there, you know, uh, forming romantic relationships with their patients, uh, you know, using that power. Or, or, or splitting, you know, this uh, splitting the patient against their doctors or the medical system, you know, splitting behaviors are pathological and, uh, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. They, yeah. they want to do that. All right. I, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you can have people saying stuff that's, you know, maybe not true, but uh, isn't driving that wedge between the patient and the doctor. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, that, that would be good. And, you know, uh, you know, there are forces uh, behind uh, the, these alternative, yeah, the alternative healing industry does not want that sort of oversight. They don't want oh, any oversight. Interesting. They, they want to be able to tell people they can heal people without uh, subscribing to any of the standards of care that you have to adhere to. <laughs> um, well, that's, yeah, that's the way it's gone for many years. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember I used to see really sick people flying out of chiropractic care where they've been getting regular, regular treatment and it wasn't seen, wasn't he, the chiropractor didn't understand what was going on. Cause, and when um, the patient wanted to sue the, it was impossible because it, it's outside of their scope of practice. How could they possibly know that was the defense back then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, um, it's really outrageous. Yeah. The, the, and, um, and by the way, I'm not taking aim at chiropractic either. I mean, you know, some people get very good musculoskeletal, whatever from that. And I'm good for them. Yeah, the, the the problem is if the chiropractor is telling you that they can cure your cancer. Exactly. Uh, right? <laughs> I, had one, I had one claim he could cure renal failure without dialysis. Oh geez. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I, I you know that that that's that's the red flag that people have to look out for is you know, are they are are they promising something that's too good to be true? Right. That, that's right. It used to be a lot more of that. A lot more. But now now it seems like it's pretty useful, good, settled down a little bit, found found a zone. Yeah. In the 1830s, when, when this um, this movement got rolling on, under Samuel Thompson, uh, who, who I mentioned earlier, uh, they successfully petitioned every state to uh, basically not be involved in the, the business of medicine anymore. And that might sound really good, right? But it's an extreme position. And what it meant was that uh, medical doctors who went to universities didn't have licenses. Yeah, you know, their licenses didn't mean anything because there were no state issued licenses to, uh, to provide meta medicine. Where was that? Uh, 1830s, Uh, not until like the, the forties and fifties and sixties did they start to, to, uh, push to get them back, uh, to, to get those licensing requirements back. And so a steam doctor was on par with uh, a graduate of, uh, Dartmouth, you know, uh, and, as a result, you know, there, there were people who were administering lethal treatment. There, there's a guy, uh, you know, 20 miles from my home in, in Vermont, uh, a farmer with gout went into uh, a steam doctor's uh, institution 
and they they came and found his body boiled alive you know oh my god that guy faced no charges yeah they they tried to bring him to justice and just as you were saying you know the the defense is uh no you know i um uh, i acted in good faith and and this is my method and and uh trying to help yeah just trying to help just trying to help T- tell some more of the horror stories like that to keep you up at night that you came across <laughs> in the book so people can refer to the book and read the stories in more detail. Well, what, one one actor uh, that, that I'll talk about is uh, a guy who went by the name of Jim Humble. Uh, he, he was an Alabama gold miner, mm-hmm. uh, was in South America, uh, Guyana, I think, uh, searching for gold. A couple of the workers in his camp uh, got malaria, fell ill. And it just kind of occurred to him that, hey, maybe this water purifier would purify their bodies, oh, right? Boy. And so oh, he convinced them to drink it. He told him it was an American health drink. And out of that experience, he kind of started to get this idea that he could cure people with uh, disinfectant, you know, that, that they're the, by disinfecting the body with, with what amounted to a very dilute form of bleach, uh, you could purge. You know, he believed that cancer was caused by little bugs inside you and that this would kill those bugs. Uh, but what was really interesting about him was that in addition to believing those things, he also believed that he was an alien from the Andromeda galaxy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, and so he had this kind of dense mythology about uh, the planet that he came from, uh, where, where an evil alien god named uh, Manzanora uh, ruled an empire of 55 planets and they brought all the water and all the animals to earth, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, make a, a star Wars fans head spin. Um, and this guy, um, started promoting what he called the miracle mineral supplement or, or miracle mineral, uh, uh, cure. And he wanted to test it on people and he couldn't do it in the United States. And so in the early two thousands, he went to Africa and he bribed prison officials in Africa oh to give him access to those patients, uh, to those prisoners. Uh. And he would give them his drink and they would you know, get sick and throw up and, and have diarrhea. And then he would say, you're oh, cured. Look at this. Yeah, yeah, you're cured. This is a sign of, of getting well. Oh. Um, so everything bad was good. And then he came back uh, to the United States and founded a church uh, where he wasn't allowed to sell this stuff. Uh, but through the church, he, he told people that if they made a $20 donation, they would get some MMS for free. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, millions of people ha- have taken that treatment or uh, maybe not millions, but certainly hundreds of thousands of people ha- have taken uh, th- those uh, that, that uh, disinfectant drink in the hopes that it will cure what ails them. Uh, and it just makes you sick. Ugh. This esophagitis must be terrible. Globally, humans are facing massive problems that are widely ignored by governments and the media. Like personal space invaders. I had it with these couples that sit on the same side of the booth. Yak mouths. Stupid stick figure bumper stickers. Almond milk. You cannot milk an almond. Hi, I'm Jennifer. And I'm Angie. We call her Pumps, and we're the hosts of I've Had It. Pumps, tell the listener where they can find us. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nailed it. See you next Tuesday.
It is kind of interesting, and I, I wonder if you came across this much, sort of the overlap between religion and some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what yeah, the the story in the in the book, I tell the stories of yeah, you know, six or seven different uh, people with these extreme uh, beliefs of health. One of them is religious based. It's a Pentecostal couple uh, who uh, uh, basically, through their reading of the Bible, came to the conclusion that if God can cure people, then to go see a doctor is blasphemy because you're not trusting in God. Well, that's sort right? of like the um, Christian scientists, right? That's sort of yes, that. yeah, 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 for sure. And in fact, yeah. uh, the Christian scientists had worked in the 1970s to change the laws. Uh, in various states um, to uh, basically allow parents to opt out right. of providing medical care for their tr- uh, kids. I and remember that. Fairly- I remember that. There were some big cases. Yeah, yeah. And um, so this couple that I, I um, profile, you know, they, they had a little girl uh, in their family get sick. Uh, she slipped into a coma over uh, in the lead up to an Easter Sunday and they attached some religious significance to the date. And instead of treating her or bringing her to a doctor, they just prayed over her frantically and they worked really, really hard to try to cure her, but they tried to do it in this completely ineffective way of prayer. You know, they were calling Newman's prayers, the Newman's that's right. That's right. Newman's prayers, the Newman's prayers. And uh, Dale and Leilani Newman, and they they called in friends and relatives to pray over this little girl, and uh, she she just became less and less responsive. Uh, and then finally, a distant relative called the authorities, uh, and an ambulance got to her door three minutes after she stopped breathing, um, and they were not able to revive her. And uh, during the autopsy, they discovered that you know. She was a juvenile diabetic uh, who had never been diagnosed. And so uh, a simple shot of insulin would have uh, put her health back on track, you know, anytime in the previous 48 hours. Um, But instead she she was gone. Uh, So it was horrifically uh, sad. uh, And yet, um, you know, her her parents are still. uh, At, At large. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they did they did serve a jail sentence. It was an unusual sentence where they they kind of staggered their jail sentences in like six month increments, so that one of them could always parent because they have other kids. Because they had other yeah, kids. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, but you know, they're, they're out there today. You know, with, with a, a preacher named uh, Torben Sundegaard who uh, advocates people to throw away their medications and and just you know. That that you know, religion is not a a, a substitute for for medical science. You no, know, I, I, I am I'm so sympathetic to you know exercise and some supplements and minimizing your medicine. I'm very sympathetic to all that, but to deny the medical reality, the clinical reality, it's just that's just so scary to me. So scary. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing more of this now. By the way, the the sort of immediately modern version of this is people not being willing to be treated for high blood pressure. This oh. is, we have all these great antihypertensives now that people, I, I'm on a couple of them, don't even have any idea I'm taking them. They have no side effects. I mean, the people don't appreciate how, how massively far we've come with treating this common illness and people just won't do it. You know, they're going to diet their way out or run their way, whatever. It's, it's, it's concerning. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That, that, that really is, is tough. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of folks, you know, they, they uh, believe 
kind of inflated claims from uh, sellers of supplements. Yeah. Um, one guy that I only talked about briefly in the book, he was a, uh, a vegan activist named Herb of War. He, he had his, uh, <laughs> he had his oh name God. changed. Uh, oh he was God. a Michigan guy. And he had this dream that he wanted to come up with an all natural version of Viagra. He was going to come oh. up with, uh, uh, yeah, the, the herb or the plant extract. Or I mean, mix. you know, we, before we had the, the, the nitric, the PDE five inhibitors, we used to use Yohimbi, which is a bark derivative and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's yeah. not completely crazy, but we, I, we see the he, horny goat weed. We see these products. Yeah. What did he come up <laughs> with? Um, he, you know, looked for years. He traveled all around the world uh, uh, testing the stuff himself. Uh, and then somebody sends him an extract of a, a Chinese plant uh, that, that's pretty rare. And he, at the time, was running a uh, telecommunication center in India. And he gave it to his workers. Uh-oh. A couple hours later, notices that they're all giggling and hiding behind their desks. Oh, wow. uh, so he's like, oh, my God. And he tries it. And he, he concludes that this works. He sells it to a bunch of people under the brand name Stiff Knights. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, he's not subtle in, oh in his marketing. And uh, then somebody took it and died. And yeah. so the FDA tests it in a lab. And it turns out it's got not a Chinese plant extract, but sildenafil, uh, one of the active ingredients in, uh, I think, not Viagra, but one of their their big competitors. And um, No, it's Viagra. Uh, That's Viagra. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, the, the, in this case, the seller thought that he was selling in good faith, right? And he didn't know what was in his own stuff because, yeah, right. there, there's, no, there's no testing requirement. The, the burden of proof God, is on it, the FDA. It really is so scary when you think about how, how close we are to people getting into trouble at all times. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. That, that's kind of one of the astonishing things I took away from your book. And th- this last door is a great example of that, like, you know, somebody says, Hey, try and, and look, we're in this world of microdosing and people taking all these crazy things that mm-hmm. God only knows what, I mean, that's massively common. I, my entire career have seen adverse neurological events from hallucinogenics. Me- they scare the crap out of me. And the fact that people are just doing this and doing this and doing this, we're starting to see manic episodes, psychotic episodes. People are, they're telling me about it, but they're not copying to it when they show up at the hospital. So this is the same thing. This is that same, just they're right there at the edge of harming themselves. It's just wild. I mean, just talking to you makes me sort of adjust my position a little bit about <laughs> about freedom to do what they want to do. Well, yeah. Let, let me ask you, I, I'd love to hear your answer to that question that you posed to me because it is such a knobby problem. And, you know, with, with you, you know, having, um, ha- having the, those freedoms kind of uh, more front of mind. Yeah. yeah. How, what, what's important about that right uh, that ought to be preserved and what is, um, you know, when, when should it be, uh, uh, regulated or prohibited out, out of existence. Gosh, you know, the way, you know, the way it would have been managed throughout the history of modern medicine would be the relationship with the patients would be built. The doctors would build the rapport. They would have the respect and trust of the patients and they, we wouldn't have to worry so much about this, but Mm -hmm. it is just, we're in a totally different environment right now. And I don't know how we get anywhere near that right now. Right. Uh, and I just, I hate the idea of 
I mean, imagine this were, you know, attorney client and they wanted to regulate every moment that went on between mm. the attorney and the client. There would be a riot. Yeah. And, and so I worry about this. I really, because you don't go back from this kind of thing. You go forward with regulation. It gets worse. Yeah. It, it sounds like, you know, like what you would, what you're interested in preserving is um, the freedom of the medical professional to act within the scope of their judgment. For sure. Um, for, but for sure. That, um, I think a lot of the, the focus and the energy of uh, the, the medical freedom movement now is to um, not crack down on folks who are not medical professionals. You know, like right. I, and I understand that there's a lot of debate uh, about a lot of medical professionals out there. That's right. Um, but I would say, um, you know, I, I'd be less concerned about degree doctors who have a difference of opinion with the establishment. Uh, they, they would be pretty far down on my list, my priority list, when I'm out there looking at people who are, you know, telling cancer patients to give them $12,000 for a laser. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I mean, you, we got to get those guys looking, out of business. You've been looking at the way outliers too, right? I That's mean, right. Way, way, way outlying stuff. But it, you know, I, I, I'm such a freedom purist. It, it's challenging all my stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I used to think I was a libertarian until I wanted the government to fix some things. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. I do. I do want an effective government. Uh, and so. Yeah, you know, I, I think li- libertarians and progressives, I think they actually, they share a lot of the same fears of the world. You know, they, they, they actually are much, much closer than they think. It's just that um, with, I, I think a lot of progressives and liberals, um, they see the the source of the, of that heavy hand as being the government. And a lot of libertarians and, and uh, more conservative folks see the source of that he- heavy hand as being the government. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, we, none of us like those elites up there laughing right. at us, drinking their, their uh, gold infused uh, yeah. tea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah. uh, uh, we, we, it's almost like uh, we're all just kind of pitted against each other. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, while the, the really productive things that could uh, shed light on government, bring, bring more transparency to, to processes, uh, get, seems to get lost in the, in the chatter. Maybe something simple like giving the medical board some sort of... <laughs> I don't want to say authority, but oversight of para, you know, these alternative practitioners and things, just so they could at least evaluate complaints, that kind of thing. Right, like, right. like the homeopathy board yeah. in Nevada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so something like that. That to me is as as sort of odd as that solution is. It, I kind of dig it. It kind of makes sense to me. And um, if you can get people to do the right thing when they, when they're inclined to have a problem with that uh, yeah. that is job number one it seems to me and if you get that taken care of a lot of this stuff might be sort of okay it leaves us with that last problem of people turning down life-saving care but they, again that's my that's our problem that's the medical profession problem and we had to focus on solving that yeah yeah I, I think there's some some internal reforms that could happen within the medical profession uh for, for sure you know a- efforts to you know, push it back against the, the AMA's, um, you know, 
wildly successful efforts to elevate the profession. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 too, they did their job too well. Yeah, uh, Dr. And, right. And and now um, the AMA is essentially useless. I mean, most physicians don't even think it belong anymore. It just does just an old, old lobby group. It doesn't do much. <laughs> but I want to hold the book up. If it is, if it sounds like a quack, here is the book. Uh, look for Matt's name on the cover. Hunglitz Hitling. Oh, you're so close. Hunglitz Hitling. Hunglitz Hitling. No I after the L. Uh, it really was fun talking to you, and I appreciate that you wrote the book. I, you sent it to me. I immediately was cracking it and going through it and getting disturbed by it. <laughs> but it was very pertinent to the present moment. I thought, uh, well done. So congratulations. Dr. Drew, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I, uh, I I really appreciate uh, that that you're using your platform to to let me chime in, uh, and, and I know um, you care a lot about the the patients that you serve, and, and I hope people keep I care that in about mind. But the patients. I care about the public at large. I care about this profession, and I'm apologizing all the time now. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry for I made. I'm sorry for the way the profession made. I'm sorry, sorry for the public health debacle. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where it ends up. Hopefully in good place. Good, good luck. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you, sir. We'll see you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 